We have come to verse 13 in Acts chapter 19. Uh, Paul is at Ephesus. Uh, I believe Apollos has gone to Corinth. Paul now has come to Ephesus. And you remember when he arrived there, he found disciples there. Uh, but he felt something wrong with them. However, that came out and he said, what baptism, you know, what baptism are you guys familiar with? They said, well, the baptism of John. And he instructed them and then baptized them in the name of Jesus Christ. And after they were baptized, subsequent to their baptism and their salvation, he laid hands on them. And it says, then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues and so forth. And Paul then begins this ministry in Ephesus. It was about 12 men involved in that, but this church is going to grow quickly. And he goes into the synagogue where they had begged him to stay. When he went back to Jerusalem, he passed through the first time. He spoke to some of the Jews there, and they wanted him to stay and tell them more. But he said, no, I'll be back. So he went to Jerusalem, back to Antioch, then overland again through the churches. And he's um, at Ephesus now at this point in time. So in that synagogue, initially, he's received. They don't, you know, you get this guy from the school of Gamaliel, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. You, you don't get that in Ephesus in the synagogue. So he's there. They're very open. They're listening. And many of them are turning to Christ. And then hostility arises. So then Paul leaves the synagogue and goes to the school of Tyrannus, which is sharing a wall with the synagogue. So he walks out the front door of the synagogue, walks in next door into the next doorway, which probably was left a little bit of agita between the two groups there. And uh, it says he taught there for about two years every day. Um, there are church fathers that said he worked making tents in the morning with Aquila and Priscilla that had moved there with him. And that every day from 11 in the morning till 4 in the afternoon, he taught through the scripture, which is the Old Testament at that point. And I think, man, I would love to have been able to sit through some of those Bible studies and listen to the apostle uh, take, take that group through the scripture. And no doubt they're growing. And it says as he was working there, they would steal his headbands and his, his you know, his skirt, sometimes his workman's outfit, and they would take them to other places and people would get healed. And it says demons were coming out when, the, when they took Paul to come back to work. He had no sweatband, he had no apron, you know. So we meet this group tonight of exorcists who were hearing about that. And in verse 13, it says, Then certain of the vagabond Jews, that's a translation into English from a Greek word. Certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches, you know, to come out. So it says these are vagabond. The idea is they're, um, they're traveling, they're, you know, uh, itinerant exorcists. They're, they're moving around probably through this area of Asia because there's so much spiritual activity uh, in this area and they're encountering people that are possessed and they're going through their exorcism, you know, regiment. Um, Josephus tells us those things were happening, that there were Jewish exorcists. 
Um, Jesus said to the Pharisees, their criticism in Matthew chapter 12, if I, they said, you're casting out demons by the prince of demons. He said, well, if I by Beelzebub cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? So exorcism was known. In fact, Josephus tells us specifically they invoked the name of Solomon, that Solomon being the wisest man that ever lived, that God revealed things to him about the spiritual realm. There's a little booklet they had supposedly by Solomon about exorcism and his insight into the spiritual realm. And there were certain incantations and so forth, supposedly that Solomon wrote down, and, and they would go through this whole exorcism process. Well, what they're seeing is with Paul in the name of Jesus, you know, like the, we have the, the girl in chapter 16 that followed him. These are servants of the Most High God. And Paul said, Paul finally got tired of it. He turned around, he said, in the name of Jesus, come out. That's all he had to say, and the exorcism was over. No incantations, no black bread, no 40-day fast, you know. So they're watching this. They're saying, man, this, this guy's got it going on. And he, whatever that incantation is, Jesus, that's the one that works. So they run into this demoniac, and they say, we adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and a chief of the priest, which did so. So Sceva, he's chief of the priest, it seems, in the area where in, when the, the Jews are spread through the Roman world, if you had... A, a synagogue, I forget, larger than so many, you had almost a small Sanhedrin there, either 24 liters or three liters, depending on the side. So it seems this, this Kiva is not from the, he's not a high priest from Jerusalem. He's chief of the priest there in that area. And Paul had been speaking in that synagogue. So these are his seven sons, Sceva, a Jew, chief of the priest, which did so. And the evil spirit said, so these are intelligent beings. Listen to what he says. He says, Jesus I know, and Paul I know. But as for you, who are you? <laughs> and the man in whom the evil spirit was and there's, it's singular. There's, these guys got one demon who's, who's a mess, I'll tell you. These are things you don't want to hear when a demoniac's getting near you. He leaped on them. He overcame them. He prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. You don't want to hear those things when you're going to. And this must have been a, you know, a great thing to watch from a distance, you know. Uh, so we have this interesting picture here. Listen, Paul, when he writes to... The Ephesians, because they're going to be screaming uh, before this chapter's over, great is Diana of the Ephesians, great is Diana of the Ephesians. Um, Paul is going to say that Jesus Christ in, in chapter 1, he's over all, that he, it, the revelation of the Father's glory is in him and he, that he reigns supreme. And then in chapter 6, he's going to say, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord, writing to the Ephesians, and in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, 
against um, rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We see that on the news every day. Uh, but this particular city was a metropolis for the arcane, for the, you know, the, the demonic realms and so forth. Again, Ephesian, Ephesus is the capital of the entire area. Um, five major gymnasiums from 450 feet by 877 feet to 685 feet by 925 feet. 15 acres in the one gymnasium. There's a theater there that's 660 feet across in diameter. It seats 25,000 people. The temple to Diana is there. It took 220 years to build the temple to Diana. It's one of the seven wonders of the world, seven times the size of the Parthenon. It's 425 feet by 220 feet, 127 60-foot pillars holding up the ceiling, these columns, 15 tons apiece, and a whole series of them are made out of jade. So when this part of the world gets overrun, those jade pillars are in St. Sophia's Church, a Muslim mosque these days in, uh, in Turkey and Istanbul. So they still, some of this still survives. Ephesus itself today is basically a wreck archaeologically. But this city was something. And in the middle of the city was all of these spiritual things going on. Paul says principalities and powers. This is what you're facing. This is what the Ephesians were facing. And we have this interesting scene here where these guys who are in this business, they're making their money, you know, in exorcism. It says, they said, you know, in the name of Jesus, who Paul knows, and the evil spirit answered and said unto them, and there's two different words here for no. He said, Jesus I know. And it's gnosko there, it's an experiential knowledge. The best translation in this context is Jesus I recognize. And it's in the tense, he's the right hand of the Father, where he ever lives and makes intercession for the saints. And the demonic realm says, yeah, I recognize that one. Jesus, I recognize. Then he uses a different word, the demon. He says, Paul, I know, I'm acquainted with. Epistemia, the idea is I'm in proximity to. He knows Paul's in town. But then when he says, but who are you? It's emphatic. So it's like, you? Who are you? Who the heck do you think you are? You know, and I'm sure when he says it, you know, this is a demon, you know. Uh, you've seen the movies. His head spins around and green ectoplasm comes out of his mouth. And he says, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. You know, you can imagine. This wasn't a friendly sound. Uh, but you, who are you? And he dives on them. This is a great, he, he, he dove on them and overcame them, seven of them, and prevailed against them. You figure he's got two guys, he's banging their heads together, he's whipping them around the room, you know. You can imagine beating up seven men, grown men. He prevailed against them, so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. So you have to be afraid to run out naked and wounded. 
Uh, doesn't say if they're limping as they go. This amazing picture. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. This is big news. These seven sons of Sceva, they probably had billboards and they, they were famous exorcists. And in this situation, they're getting just massacred by this demoniac, this demon spirit. And news of this said it spread to all that are dwelling in Ephesus, population about 300,000. All that dwell in Ephesus, it says, and fear, the word there is terror, fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. So, you know, no texting, no Facebook, you know. This is word of mouth spreading through the whole city. And these kind of spiritual things were big talk there because, you know, the temple to Diana, all these things that are there. And it says terror spread. They were amazed. Now, verse 18, 19, and 20, very interesting. It says, then many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds, many of them also which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all. And they counted the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. So very interesting. The impression made over this deliverance that takes place, uh, the, the attempted deliverance, but this, the word spreads on this. It says in verse 18, many that believed. The idea is there, they have come. It's, it's in the tense. It means these are believers. These are carnal Christians. They're still messed up with stuff in their life from the old life. But these are those who believed. And look, when you're coming out of that kind of culture, you know, you come out of whatever cultures, different cultures, stratas of different cultures we came out of, there was stuff hanging on us. Some of that stuff took a while till we get all that shed and off of us and a whole new life. You know, it says here, many of those that believe, then they came and confessed. One of the things probably has to happen if we are compromised, and that's what they were. Still involved in things we shouldn't be involved in. It's wonderful for a brother to come to a brother or a sister to come to a godly sister or to a pastor and confess. Pray for me. I need to get out of this. It's hanging on. It's killing me, you know. And the body of Christ is good for that because then you know you're going to see that person next week and they're going to say, uh, by the way, how's the situation going? And then during the week you're thinking, I'm not going to do it because he's going to ask me next. You know, it's just it's, it creates a healthy environment. So they came, they confessed. I think confession is essential when there's compromise in our lives. And they showed their deeds. They, they put them in the open, you know, so, so you could see it. Then it says many of them... Also, which used curious arts, the occult, they brought their books. These are parchments, very expensive, together, and they burned them before all, publicly. They didn't have a garage sale. They didn't sell them to their friends at a better price. Um, they, they counted the price of them, found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So they come... And then they confess, it says, 
And it says, they, they brought together then these things they were involved in. Repentance looks like something. It's not secret. It's not something that's unnoticeable. It looks like something. And these people in the scene in this town, they come and they repent. They confess. This is what we're doing. And with that, they're bringing these amulets and papyri, the things that have them still wrapped up, you know, and they burn them publicly. They get rid of them. And I think, you know, I get saved. You know, how many times we pure people get saved? And, and, you know, I get saved and I had this whole load of cocaine and I, and I, I just wanted to sell to my friends for half price because I was a Christian. I couldn't stand the thought of dumping it down the toilet. And you know, just, we go through all that stuff. N no, uh, these people, repentance looks like something. They come publicly and they burn their books as we should be willing any idolatrous thing in our life. Anything that's holding us back, we should be willing, you know, to get rid of anything that would pull us back into the world. You have to know those things about your own life. I have to know them about my life. And look, we're on planet Earth. We're on this ball of dirt. So, you know, we, we grow in Christ. There are things that, you know, at this point, I'm no longer punching people or, you know, getting stoned or drinking or, you know, drugging. I'm, that stuff's gone. But there's still a lot of stuff in me that ain't like Jesus. And I don't want to be a crabby old man. I want to be like Jesus. So there's still things I'm bringing, you know, there's still things I'm that, that I can, I, Lord, I don't want this to hold me back. I don't want that to hold me. But there, it's indigenous. It's relative to me in my heart, as you have in your own heart tonight. And you should be bringing those things before the Lord. And, and if you feel like, you know, I need some help with this, well, you should be willing to be accountable. You, you must know, don't tell somebody who's going to go on the prayer gossip line, you know, uh, Tell somebody you can trust. Tell somebody you know is spiritual. Tell somebody you know will pray for you. And then say, let's meet next week again and talk about it again. You know, Paul says, if you see a brethren in Galatians overtaken with a fault, that, that you should be able to, you know, help that heal. And the word he uses is to set a broken bone. And when you set a broken bone, anybody here is at a cast on, you're looking at least six weeks. Sometimes we just want to hear it once from a person, all right, all right, I'll pray. No, no, there's time invested. It may take weeks, but it's good medicine. And if every joint and ligament supplies, then the body is healthier. We're going to see that here, how, what the, the importance of that. So they came and they burned all of these, you know, satanic and books, witchcraft, all of this stuff. They burned them. They counted the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. The drachmas, the piece of silver was a day's wage. So this is enough to hire 5,000 men for 10 years, for 10,000 days. This is enough to pay six years salary to 150 men it's just the, the amount of money here is unbelievable they're counting the cost 
they're really burning bridges. You hear about people burning bridges? These are their bridges they're burning. And we need to burn some bridges as well. And they're counting the cost, literally. 50,000 pieces, somebody counted the cost. Important. And it says so, look at verse 20. That so is related to the behavior of the church, publicly repenting, putting aside the things that they shouldn't be involved in. It creates a healthy atmosphere in the church. It creates an openness. You know, when we realize about one another, hey, we all kind of wrestle with the same stuff. We're all made of the same stuff. We're all recipients of the grace of God. It's the only reason we're going to heaven. It, it, it produces a great spiritual health. So it says here in verse 20, so, because they came forward, confessed and so forth, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed over all of that other stuff. Look, you look at our culture today, you look at what's going on in the world, you look at the immorality, you look at the insanity, you look at the hatred, you look at the crookedness of it all. And somehow in the middle of all that, the church is supposed to be the pillar and ground of truth in the community. Somehow in the middle of all of that, Jesus says to us, you alone are the light of the world. You alone are the soul of the earth. No other, no other group on the planet. You alone. And it says here, when you and I are willing to cut strings with all the old things we are involved with, when we're willing to count the costs and get rid of all of it, that a church like that, and a pastor like that, lights up, lights up and prevails. That the church became something that all the idolaters, all these other people, we're going to see that. They looked at it and said, I want that. Whatever those people, look at them. They love each other. Look at that. You know, they're, they're willing to get rid of their stuff. What are they doing burning all that stuff? Are you crazy? I remember one of our gals who I loved deeply and came here. She got saved and uh, she had all these statues on her front lawn of St. Andrew and St. Jude and all this. And she went out on her, and she, with a shovel, and dug this big hole on her front lawn and was breaking them and burying them. And her neighbors, no, no, I'll, I'll take that one. No, no, give me that. No, I'll buy that. And she said, no, these are statues. That's all they are. You can't just, and you had to know her. She was a hoot. And uh, just amazing. I can imagine her doing it. But if that's noticeable in your neighborhood. People will talk about that. And uh, here, burning $50,000 worth of, you know, not dollars, a full day's wage, 50,000 drachma of, of books and curious arts and all this stuff, it becomes, the, you know, the talk of the town, literally. And it says, and because of that, so, because of that, mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Now, 21. It says, now after these things were ended, this and, and the, when they're bringing their books and stuff, it's in the imperfect tense. It's continuing. It doesn't mean that they all did it in an hour. This may have taken a number of days. But after all that stuff is over, after these things were ended, then it says, Paul purposed in his spirit, not the Holy Spirit, in his own spirit, but no doubt Paul is always sensing the leading of the spirit, but it says he purposed here in his spirit that when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, he's going to go to Jerusalem. So Paul 
get out the government laser here. Paul in Ephesus determines that he's going to go through Macedonia and Achaia before he goes to Jerusalem. Then he's going to say he wants to go to Rome as well. So here he is in Ephesus. He wants to go through, um, he's going to go through Asia, then Macedonia, down here to Achaia, where Corinth is. So he's determined he's going to do that, which will take him back to Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, the church of Corinth, the, the church at Centria. He's going to go back to those churches. He's determined to do that and to visit them. And it says, and then after that, he wants to go to Jerusalem. He will do that. Corinthians, Romans tells he he is taking an offering for the church in Jerusalem, which is gone through famine and their, their financial hardship. So Paul is going to these other churches, gathering an offering for the church in Jerusalem and building this incredible bridge between the Jews and the Gentiles that could never have existed in the Jewish history. So he says he purposed to do these things, Macedonia, Achaia, then go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been through there, I must go to Rome. He had no idea. He wasn't going to take El Al. You know, he wasn't going to take, a, you know, a cruise. He was going to go to Rome, chained, shipwrecked, bitten by a snake. You know, I mean, he's going to say, the Lord's going to appear to him in Jerusalem in his cell and say, Paul, you did a good job today. Started a riot, you up the, the whole city. You wouldn't expect Jesus to come and say, did a great job. And he says, but you're not done giving testimony. You're gonna go to Rome too. And you think, man, Jesus appeared in my bedroom, mom. He told me I'm going to Rome. You know, tomorrow there should be a limo pulling up in front of the house and I should be flying first class. And Jesus says, you're going to Rome. Paul said, really? I kind of, that was on my heart. <laughs> Shipwrecks, two years in prison in Caesarea before they go. And then he gets there, he's chained to Roman guards. So he said, but that's in his heart at this point in time, remarkably. Now, Paul says this, I'm read several verses in um in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, because he writes 1 Corinthians from here, um, from Ephesus. Um, important to notice, though, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. He had written a previous letter to the Corinthians and told them there, you read the fifth chapter, the things he told them to stay away from and not be involved in, because Corinth was an immoral place. So 1 Corinthians is really 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians is really 3 Corinthians. We just don't have the 1 Corinthian letter. God thought we just needed 2 and 3. So we call this one 1 Corinthians. But Paul there, when he is speaking, let me find my verses here. He says, if after the manner of men, I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Let's eat, drink and be merry. We're going to die. He said, understand, I contended with beasts at Ephesus. 
but that's in light of the resurrection. If the dead don't rise, what's the point of all of that? You know, why would I want to go through that difficulty if the dead don't rise? He says um, earlier, yeah, let me see where my verses are here. First uh, Corinthians 16, Second Corinthians 8, First Corinthians 15, 32. Hold on, be patient with me. I'm looking at my computer notes here. I thought I had a mark there. I'm going. I'll be there in a second. Okay. You ready? <laughs> wake up. Hit the guy next to you and wake him up. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 1. For we would not, um, not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had this sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raises the dead. He brings up the resurrection again. As Second Corinthians chapter 1, he's writing from Asia again, from that area that he wrote to the Corinthians. And then he says this too in 1 Corinthians. Um, he says, I will tarry at Ephesus till Pentecost. Now, we, we know from uh, chapter 20, when Paul meets with the elders from Miletus, he says, therefore watch, he's warning them, remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. So Paul then tells you, it was two years at the school of Tyrannus in Ephesus, but on either side of that, there's time because when he, he meets with the elders again from Ephesus, he said, you know, I was there three years. It's the longest stay that we know of in a, in a particular place. I was there three years. And he says, I will tarry, writing now to the Corinthians, I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost for a great door and effectual is open unto me and there are many adversaries. So Paul says, there's a great door that's open. We look at this church, if they're burning 50,000 drachmas of books, that means this church has grown. Uh, this is not the 12 people that he prayed for that received the Holy Spirit. This is a growing church for that much to be burned and that value to come forward. And, and Paul then says, you know, I want to go to Macedonia. I want to do this. So verse 22 says, so then what he did, he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timothy and Erastus. Now this Erastus we'll meet again in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'll just read it. It's easier. It's easier when I can find it, obviously, but... Second Timothy chapter 4, Paul is closing the last thing that he writes. He says, salute, salute Priscilla and Aquila, 
the household of Onesiphorus, Erastus, abode at Corinth. Trophimus, he goes through. So we, we find Erastus in Acts 16 and 2 Timothy chapter 4. That's this Erastus here, who we learn in Corinth is a treasurer. So it seems like Paul has him overseeing this offering that will go to Jerusalem. So Timothy and Erastus, he sends first to Macedonia, and he sends the letter to the Corinthians, probably by sea across there to Corinth, and he wants the letter to the Corinthians to get to Corinth before Timothy and Erastus get there, because he wants them the Corinthians to have led the letter, read the letter when they come, certainly to be familiar with it then when he comes to be with them there. It says, at the same time there arose no small, this is Luke, no small stir, that means a real big one. The same time there arose no small stir about that way. So here's a factual open door. The word of God is prevailing. Pray for me. I have an open door, but with many adversaries. He says, for a certain, the, the, there's a great stir. It arose now about that way, which is they called, the, you know, the way of Christians, their behavior, the way they live. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's a great stir in Ephesus about that way, about Paul and what he's preaching. For a certain man named Demetrius a silversmith, and we're not sure if we ever meet him again in scriptures, not in John's epistles, not necessarily this Demetrius, common name. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, Diana's Latin, the Greek is Artemis, he made silver shrines for Diana, he brought no small gain to the craftsmen. So it seems like he's the head of the guild or something, Demetrius. He's the head guy, and it says through these silver shrines, he brought no small gain to the workmen who worked with them. He calls them craftsmen. Verse 25 says, whom he called together, now he uses a different word, with the workmen, because there were others there that were making statues of altars and Diana out of terracotta. So he's got the craftsmen, no doubt, making the silver shrines. And part of the, the same union there, they're making the terracotta shrines. He says, with the workmen of like occupation, and said, sirs, you know that by this craft we have our wealth. So this is going to be over money. It was over money in Philippi. When Paul cast the demon out, the guys were upset. This is how we made our living. I can't believe, you know, it comes there and they beat Paul and Silas. They chain them in the prison. Now again, this is going to be, you know, coming against the work of Christ, which has grown and it's over money again. He says, he called together the workmen. He, he is telling them this is happening and those that were of like occupation with the craftsmen and he said sirs you know that by this craft we have our wealth this is this is how we make our money guys this is this is big stuff moreover you see in here that not alone at Ephesus 
but almost throughout all of Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. Duh. You know, you got a God made by hand and ain't no God. Well, that was very simple to Paul. And idolatry surrounded him as, as they're looking at this. Now, it's very interesting. They're making these little shrines. Some people said wealthy people would take that little silver shrine and donate it to the temple of Diana while they were there. Others would keep them home and venerate them. Uh, the terracotta ones they'd put in their house, sometimes out in their garden. And the craftsmen, they're, ma- they're making a killing. They're the guys that are doing this in the middle of all this. And all of a sudden, Paul is telling people, it's made by hand, it ain't a god. Guys, come on. And it says he's turning many in Asia away. Now, all of Asia, it's very interesting because those churches we know are Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. You can see them there on the map around Ephesus. That From that area, and it says sweat bands are going up, people are being healed, and the word of God is spreading to all those cities. So there are churches in all of those cities that are then growing, and these craftsmen are up in arms. By the way, those letters are written to those seven churches about 35 to 40 years after. It's hard to be dogmatic, but it's a 35 to 40 year period after this. You know, Paul, when he writes to the Ephesians, the church, he says some of the greatest things in the world to the Ephesian church. You read through it. They're the highest and loftiest things. And 35 years later, he says, you've left your first love. You know, we're, we're at 40 years since we taught the first Bible study here. This June will be 40 years since the first Sunday morning service. And I pray that we're not losing our first love. I pray we haven't cooled, you know. Sometimes I see folks here, I did their weddings 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Everybody was on fire. You didn't go see weird movies. You didn't, nobody was no drinking. There was no, and now sometimes I, I, I hear parents that are letting their kids go to movies and taking them to concerts and doing things that they would never have done when they were young Christians. I'm thinking, are we cooling? You know, when Jesus says to the church at Ephesus, you've left your first love, he, and he's writing the letter through the angel of the church of Ephesus. The angel of the church of Ephesus was John the Apostle. He had been there for 30 years. And John is hearing the church he's pastored. Here's what's wrong with it, John. But the Lord doesn't say that's it. There's a way back. Repent. You know, remember from what thou art fallen, repent. Do the first works. You know, the Lord encourages them to come back. But here, about 35, 40 years after this, these letters will be written to all these churches that seem to be on fire at this point in time. And Paul is going around just saying, hey, you know, all this idolatry, if your God's made by hands, that ain't a real God. So that not only this, our craft, Demetrius says, is in danger, not just our living, to be said at naught, and he's very concerned at this point in time, scholars believe this is May, and in the spring in May, 
the, the games from Asia comes, like a mini Olympics there, and everybody comes, and it's a big time for selling statues. It's a great time for selling statues and making money. And, and so he says, now, he says, our, our very craft is in danger of being set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed whom all of Asia and the world worships. Now that's an afterthought. The first thought is, we're losing money, man. This is cutting into our income. And oh yeah, Diana, great temple, everybody's gonna think they're wrong. You know, there's nothing serious about this because they put her last in their argument. And when they heard these sayings, these craftsmen and, and, and these workmen, they were full of wrath and cried out saying, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city, again, I'm sure it doesn't mean every individual, it probably means you know, a good percentage of the, the population, 300,000. The whole city, because when everybody starts screaming something, that's the closest thing they have to a PA system. The whole city was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with them in one accord to the theater. So they grabbed Gaius and Aristarchus. They don't kill them. They know these are guys that are hanging with Paul. Gaius, there's a number of people in the New Testament. We're not exactly sure. Um, We know that over in chapter 20, if you look there, verse 4, it says, and there accompanied him, Paul, into Asia, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus. So this Aristarchus here is mentioned a few times in the New Testament consistently. It is the Aristarchus we meet here. He's from Thessalonica and Secundus, and Gaius, who's from Derby, and Timothy, so if he's from Derby and Lystra, that area, he's known Timothy probably a long time. So they grab here Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, and they rush with one accord into the theater. And what Paul wanted to enter in unto the people, the disciples wouldn't let him. Paul's thinking, are you crazy? I could preach to 25,000 people. You don't want me to go in there? This, you know, what are they going to do? Kill me? I've been killed already. I'm going to get to go to heaven. This is great. I get to, you know, it was like Samson with the Philistines. I get to take 25,000 people to heaven, with, take them up instead of take them down, you know. But the, they, the disciples restrain Paul. Don't go in there. And the whole thing, there's so much confusion. Everybody's screaming. It says the whole city knows. And they're rushing into the theater where all their main meetings were. The sports were there. You know, the drama was there and so forth. That they run into this theater, I would imagine the majority of it filled. And when Paul would have entered, because he's worried about Gaius and Aristarchus, when Paul would have entered into the people, into that mess, the disciples suffered him not. And certain of the chief of Asia, these are Asiarchs in the Greek, they are civil authorities um, that organized money in the area. They organized the games. They oversaw the libraries. They oversaw 
You know, they're kind of district attorneys. Certain of the Asiarchs, notice this, which were his friends. They're Paul's friends. He's been there for at least two years by this point in time. They said unto him, desiring him, that he would not adventure himself into the theater. They said, you can't do this. And these are local civil authorities. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused. It's hard to believe that a big crowd of people could be confused. We've never seen that on the news or anywhere. The assembly was confused, and the more part knew not why they were coming. You know, King James is great. The more part knew not wherefore they were coming. The, the, the biggest part of the crowd didn't even know why the heck they were together. Why are we gathered? What's going on here? What's the news? What's happening? It says, and they drew Alexander out of the multitude. The Jews putting him forward and Alexander is beckoning with the hand to get the crowd to settle down so he could make his defense. But when they knew he was a Jew, it erupted again. So evidently, the synagogues there want to put Alexander forward. And no doubt he's going to say, yeah, these guys that have come to town, Paul, these guys are Jews, but not like, they're, they're, this is a branch of Judaism now, this Christian thing. We're monotheists, but we never pick on Diana. We never do this. We're going to find out that Alexander, we're going to hear about him again, First uh, Timothy, uh, verses 19 and 20, it says there, Paul's encouraging the saints, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning the faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Again, in Second Timothy, when Paul signs off, um, he says, The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring it with thee, and the books, and especially the parchments. And Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil, and the Lord will reward him according to his works. So there's that kind of edgy part of Paul left to the very end. Bring me the cloaks, the parchments, my Bible. And that Alexander the coppersmith, God will take care of him, you know. So he's, he's just got that edge by nature. It's who he is. So this Alexander is put forth by the Jews to bring about a defense because these people are screaming. And some of them think, yes, this is Jewish Paul talking about a Jewish Messiah, you know, this whole thing. So they push him forward to make a defense. And, and, but when the crowd knew he was a Jew, and that's what they're mad about now, that Paul's a Jew, it says, all with one voice, it says for about two hours was screaming, great as Diana the Ephesians. This would drive me crazy. Two hours, great as Diana the Ephesians, great as Diana the Ephesians. Let me do it for five or 10 minutes, see, you'll get the idea. Great as Diana the Ephesians, great as Diana the Ephesians, great as Diana. But you can imagine that, you know, on the loudspeaker, it's just loud. This is going on and they're doing it because Alexander now is gonna step forward. Now he's a coppersmith, you have to realize then he's involved with these statues to Diana because there were ones that were made of pure silver. They had a value. They were sometimes taken and donated to the temple. 
the, the lesser grade ones were made of copper then coated with silver. So Alexander the coppersmith is woven into this mess somehow and they put him forward and they realize this, this guy's a Jew. They start screaming, greatest idea, for two hours. I don't know, you know, NBA games can be rowdy. Sometimes the players, sometimes the, you know, evidently the, the Oscars can be rowdy too, but uh, you know, NFL can be rowdy. One of the rowdiest things I've ever seen is soccer games. Sometimes the whole crowd for hours, and they make these noises. I'm thinking, I couldn't enjoy soccer if I was there. I'd have to run out. And they do it endlessly. I think when this is over, they must all hibernate for a week or something. So you can imagine two hours of this screaming. And it says, and when the town clerk had appeased the people. Now, by the way, he's the chief officer of the city. He's kind of like the mayor, but he's a Roman appointee. So when he walks out, he has a robe on. He's recognizable. The whole place is crazy. Took him a while to realize Alexander was a Jew. There's no question here. It says when this Roman chief official, the town clerk, when he appears, the people, he speaks to them. Ye men of Ephesus. Now, he's really smart, this guy, because first he kind of butters them up, and then he gives them the warning. He says, you men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how that the city of the Ephesians is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana, and of the image, he says, which fell down from Jupiter. Now, he's, he's saying that, that that was their tradition, that Zeus threw down an image of Diana. Uh, of course, that didn't happen. Anybody here believe Zeus did that? Okay. Um, some try to say, well, it was a meteor. You know, and it's just grotesque if you've seen images of Diana. Um, there's another historical approach that says on the night Alexander the Great was born, they burdened the temple in Ephesus. You know, the, the Greeks were so angry and ready to take over the world and that there had been a statue of from India made of ebony that was in the temple there and the temple burned down and that image got charred but not destroyed. It, survi it survived and they began then to call it you know, the goddess Diana, and to venerate it. And he says here, you know, these guys are saying that gods that are made by hands, those are not real gods. We, we worship, you know, Diana and the Ephesians. You know that Zeus threw her down to us. She fell out of the sky. She wasn't made with hands. Seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, you ought to be quiet. Don't you wish you could just say that to some people today? They're hassling you about Jesus, about your faith, and say, don't you know these things shouldn't be spoken against, so shut up. <laughs> he is seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, you ought to be quiet. And to do nothing rashly, for you have brought hither these men. They're neither robbers of churches, places of worship, nor yet blasphemers, of your goddess. That's not what they're doing. Wherefore, if Demetrius 
and the craftsmen which are with him have a matter. Now here's the interesting thing. This guy doesn't appear right away. The arena is filling or full and finally he walks out because he gathered with his guys first and he got a briefing. You know, what in the world is going, oh, there's this guy, Demetrius, he's got the whole crowd worked up and they're, you know, saying that Paul's, you know, dethroning Diana. So he was briefed. When he steps out, he knows what the situation is. And he says, you know, Diana, everybody knows that Ephesus is the city of Diana. You know, her image fell down from the sky and so forth. And he said, you bring these guys out of here. They haven't done anything wrong. Wherefore, if Demetrius, and Demetrius then has gone rut-row, because he knows his name from the stage. Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen, they just went rut-row, which are with them have a matter against any man, the law is open. There are deputies, which are Romans. Let them implead one another. If they've got an issue in the law, the courts are good. These guys haven't done anything worth this. What you need to do then, Demetrius and you craftsmen, is bring them to the Roman court. But if you inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. For we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar. Because in any Roman, Roman province, causing a riot was a capital crime. Any Roman official that found out Demetrius and the craftsmen started this, they killed him. They put him to death. Rome kept order. So they know that. He says, he says, for we are in danger of being called into question for this day's uproar. And, and Demetrius and the craftsmen do not want to be identified as those who... There, he says, there being no cause whereby we may give an account of the concourse here, of what's going on. And when he had thus spoken, look what it says. After he had spoken, he dismissed the assembly. Go home. 25,000 people. He dismisses them. It's a riot before that. It's insanity. But the authority of Rome, you know, you have to understand, this guy steps out and immediately the crowd goes quiet because the mayor's here, the district, you know, the the Roman proconsul, the guy that's running the show, and uh, he just says, what is this what big deal about? Everybody knows that Ephesus is, a, is the place where Diana's worship. These guys aren't, you're not undermining that way because everybody knows, you know, her image fell down from the sky. Zeus threw her down here to us, and there's no problem. And, and you know, everybody knows how great Diana is. She's not being undermined. Now, he's work in the crowd, he understands. And he said, and these guys here, they, they, they don't, you know, they're not burning down buildings or robbing people, you know, you're, what are you doing? And besides that, if the officials hear that there was a riot here in the city and Demetrius and his craftsmen started it, it won't be good. When he dismissed the crowd, Demetrius was the first one to leave, I guarantee you. And changed his name after that, probably the next day. But it's just so interesting to see the power of Rome because here in 41 it says he dismissed the assembly. Just said, go home. Everybody leaves. 20,000 people, 15,000 people, whatever it was. Everybody just left. That was the authority of Rome. Jesus Christ comes in the fullness of time. 
we're told by Paul, Galatians. Greek language to write the New Testament in, Roman roads to travel on with streetlights, the Romans guarded the roads, they were safe to travel on. There was order for Paul to go by ship from city to city, it was the fullness of time. It was the perfect time for Christ to come. And uh, I'm hoping someday maybe to meet this Rome, Roman guy here that called the thing. I'm, I'm hoping that as this word Paul was preaching prevailed through all of Asia, maybe this is one of the guys we'll meet. Now, chapter 20 begins by, and after the uproar. Now you know what the uproar is, so the Lord tarries next week when we start chapter 20, and I say after the uproar, all of you that were here this week will know what that means, and everybody who didn't come tonight who comes next week, they're not going to know what the uproar is, but that's how it will start after the uproar uh, next week. So read ahead, guys. Uh, let's stand. Let's pray. Um, I would encourage you, looking at this tonight, um, any of the old things that are holding you back, these were believers that came. They're young believers. They're coming out of, you know, out of idolatry and sorcery. But they came when they realized how great the power of God was because of the seven sons of Sceva. It says there was terror. They realized, wow, you know. I know that Jesus doesn't want us to stand in his presence with terror. Love does much more, and it says we love him because he first loved us. But I do know that he's jealous over us. The Holy Spirit lusteth to envy. He's jealous over us. And I do know he doesn't want us bowing the knee anywhere else to drugs or alcohol or sex or pornography. He doesn't want us bowing the knee anywhere else. Some of us need to confess those things to a friend, to somebody who's mature, who will pray with us and help us through that. Some of us just in our own hearts need to identify the stuff. Okay, you know, I'm just going to burn that. I'm not going to have a garage sale. I'm not giving it to somebody else. This is going to go. It's just going to go. And it says when the church, plural, the believers are willing to do that before their Lord and Savior, that the word of God prevails, that revival comes, that, you know, this great city of Ephesus by their enemies is saying, this guy's prevailed everywhere. This word of God is being preached. It's been spreading everywhere through the known world. These guys are, you know, this is, this is happening. Well, that's what our city's supposed to realize too. That's what our community's supposed to realize. And it has to be a work of the spirit. It can't be a work of the spirit in my life until I've, surrendered everything put up a white flag all right lord i surrender same thing in your lives but that's the kind of church i want you to be in i want you all to surrender whatever it might be and you can pray that for me as well amen amen, amen. so let's bow our hearts tommy will come father i know you've overheard and we see this ruckus lord there's a the initial ruckus of revival, of the things that happened in the whole area being stirred. And then there's the human sweaty ruckus uh, of envy and greed. And, uh, and yet, Lord, uh, you say that uh, the civil authorities or the magistrate doesn't bear the sword in vain. Certainly, these things were in view when you said that. And that there are no threat to those who do good. So, Lord, we don't care if there's a 
jealous ruckus around us over selfishness. Let our ruckus, Lord, be louder than theirs, Lord. Stir our hearts afresh with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Let us never be afraid to stand up to those powers that be, Lord, of greed, of persecution. And you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, Lord Jesus, the same way. Lord, you worked here. We trust you to work again in our lives. So we put these things before you, Lord. Give us our portion, Lord. Speak to our hearts. We trust you, Lord Jesus. Amen.